Welcome to Millennial Pastor Podcast, to, to the Millennial, man, it's been a bit, hasn't it, folks? I'm Josiah, and I'm your host, and I'm doing the sole hosting duties today. So much has happened. We have been radio silent for a minute. Briefly, I can just tell you that that moving between Byron and, and Josiah, myself moving, and then my family having a COVID scare and having to be quarantined, life is just full of uh, mystery and wonderment. But we're back, and I'm, I'm super excited for today's episode. I'm going to get right into it because there's so much that we're going to talk about. Uh, on today's episode, I have a couple, a married couple. Uh, this isn't the first time we've done this, but this married couple, I'm super excited, intrigued to talk to. On the show, we have Amy and MG. Can you guys say hi and, and tell me where you're at today? Hello. <laughs> where you're at in uh sorry in like an emotional physical yeah all like, the things. let's start with <laughs> physically where you're located at and then and then tell me uh tell me a little bit about yeah how you're doing with pandemic life because I feel like all of us need a little bit of mental health check every now and then right yes um we're recently located relocated from Vancouver Washington to Eugene Oregon um that's where we're at in the great Pacific Northwest and um today has actually been a good day mentally which is which is great and my go to work I don't have to work from home so I see people pretty regularly I work for a residential hall and so I doesn't really feel like the pandemic other than I have to wear masks oh and I guess I have to get a COVID test once a week so that's different but yeah it's definitely different yeah <laughs> What about you, MG? How has life changed pandemic-wise? I mean, do you work from home now, or did you always work from home, or what does life look like for you? I uh, worked from home. I had started working from home a little bit before the pandemic started, and I most of the things I do to entertain myself are at home, like playing games and reading, stuff like that, and so to a certain extent, the pandemic really hasn't affected me. <laughs> I uh, I am still able to do all of my work. I'm still able to interact with friends uh, via satellite, you know, talking with people online and whatnot. So it hasn't really affected me too much. That was one nice thing about having the pandemic before we moved is that even though we're in a town, we don't know anyone, it's not weird to video chat with friends <laughs> because that's just what you did for a year and a half. So it actually kind of worked out, at least for me in our favor, some small way. There's this term that I was reading about. My wife's a nurse and she's always giving me helpful little bits of things from medical folk and psychologists and stuff. It's called surge capacity. And it's basically just like the human brains are only meant to take on so much uh, levels of stress, extra stress. Like, you know, if you're in a, if you're surviving through a hurricane, you can probably reasonably deal with altered state of being for a couple months and your body can kind of handle that. But no one, no, no body is supposed to go on for like a year and a half indefinitely. Plus, you know, dealing with this extra amount of stress, uh, just potentially around every corner. So it's always an interesting question to ask, uh, you know, any, anyone I mean, I'm like, Hey, so how does life before and after? Cause I feel like that's, that's maybe just how we're going to talk about life now. It's like, 
what were you like before 2020 though hmm. like is this is this how you are now or is this how it always has been so yeah i guess both where you are and how you're doing but uh, that answers the questions for me and the reason the reason that i'm so excited to have you on the podcast our listeners might see a clickbaity title i don't know how clickbaity i'll make it but uh amy you were once a pastor and you are no longer well do you still are you still technically do you have like your credentials still your license or where are you at with that I am still technically ordained. I got ordained in 2019. Um, I need to, if I want to keep my reverend hood. Her right reverend. My right reverend. Yes. Right reverend Amy. Yeah. uh, I worked with students and we, um, some of them, we got the nickname RAR. So I was a RAR Amy, the right reverend Amy. Um, That's pretty great. It was, it was great. One of them painted a rock for me. Um, (laughs) Anyway. So I just forgot. I got distracted by the RAR thing. You I still do have still it. have my ordination. I do need to take some steps if I want to keep it, especially when now that I'm not, mostly that I'm in a new district. Um, and that's and sort of, uh, is that sort of up in the air right now? Yeah, I haven't decided if I'm going to uh, press to try to keep that ordination or not. I currently kind of lean towards no, but I'm going to let some things settle because the last year has been a lot. And I think I have at least until the next district assembly to decide. And then I have like up to four years before it like completely goes away. It should well, have been three left. It should have been you have until the end of this podcast to decide to provide stakes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, betting odds, right? Yeah, who yeah. knows what's going to happen? Well, part of the clickbaity nature of this, uh, this is a unique. Uh, marriage between you two, I would assume. MG, you, if people see the title, I think I know what I'm going to call it. They might have already figured out that you yourself are an atheist married to a still pastor. Uh, have you met anyone else that is in a similar situation as you? I'm online and I've, I've talked with many people like in person who have relationships of different faiths, but not with somebody who's representing that faith as a pastor. That's, um, that's that, kind of the that next I've level with online yeah so there are there are a handful is there like a facebook group for this or something uh facebook <laughs> is such an old old person thing but <laughs> uh yeah there there are definitely communities of uh ex-christians and especially those who are dealing with troubles of faith who are at some level of leadership often that comes with its own challenges so yeah mostly on reddit but all over the place all over okay. the internet the internet opens a world of possibilities it does that's i think that's why my parents didn't <laughs> let me have it until i was 18 i think they were afraid of some things happening um, possibilities yeah yes. well I, I wanted to do an experiment today uh we have sometimes played a game called uh how millennial are you and then once or twice we played this game called how millennial evangelical are you? And I think that might be appropriate today, but we're going to take it to another level. Um, for our listeners, both of you had maybe close to the stereotypical American evangelical upbringing. Is that, is that safe to say? Yes. So, yeah, I, I would say so for sure. So we're going to toy with that, but that might be sort of the launch pad for some of our more in-depth conversations, some of the more uh, pressing questions that that might stem from just you know the unicorn that is your relationship if it's if it's more rare than than not if it, there's not a whole lot 
of examples of this even if you probably look on the internet it's probably fairly rare i would assume i i don't look for it on the internet so correct me if i'm wrong mg but it's probably not a regularly occurring thing on the internet if it is a if it isn't a regularly occurring thing it's certainly a not a regularly uh talked about thing fair enough i think that it, it definitely occurs more than people might admit but it's a very difficult thing to make public without some kind of uh scandal or drama or, yeah drama yeah it was always really awkward to have to like start convert I, I was applying at churches for a while after i left my last job and having to start with hey heads up my husband's an atheist is that an issue for you <laughs> yes okay no okay <laughs> yeah the evil dracula laugh behind the scenes yeah, yeah. that I'm, i mean i do what i can yeah, yeah keep it fresh right well Shoot, before we get into this question, I do need to name this because um, it's not just the the I'm married to an atheist thing. It's also just, and there's not very many, you know, young women pastors to begin with or millennial pastors across the board. And I do have to, I, I do have to point out, we met in, in a really interesting way where you were presented as like a token millennial female pastor. So that's got to be really fun to deal with. We were both at our own like big conference thing for our Pacific Northwest district. And I had just written a book and your pastor, your boss at the time was like, Hey, I have one of those like, Oh, okay. And then I was like, Hey, you need to be friends. Cause you know, you're both millennial and hooray. So looking back, I'm like, Oh, there's so many things. There's so many things about that interaction that I don't even, I mean, some of it's cringeworthy. Some of it, I just have to laugh, but I, I, how did you feel about that initial interaction, Amy? Oh man, I feel like I was still pretty new and I'm kind of introvert and I was probably more in shell shock that I was at a district assembly than what was happening at the moment. And uh, being, being used to some of the, the jokes that were made by my lead pastor, I was like, whatever, that's who he is. We'll just roll with it. Hey, it's nice to meet. <laughs> that was probably more of what, what I was going through. I just, it's one of those things that, like you said, you didn't think too much about it. And then you kind of look back at it and you're like, mm. ah, <laughs> okay. Uh, even five years ago, which is, I think four or five years ago is when that all went down. I feel yeah. like such a, I look back and I, I feel like I, I was such a naive, you know, baby, baby Josiah. It's, it's interesting how much I've grown to maybe be a little too cynical about things, but so much that has happened. And I think that's maybe important. That's why I want to, I want to see where y'all came from to get to where you're, you're at now. Uh, you're, you're in Oregon. Once upon a time, Amy, you were a pastor in a church. Now you're working as a resident um, director. Is that right? I'm a life skills case manager. Okay. A life skills coach, essentially. And I have a caseload of, of students that I work with. It within was it just in the schools or is it like in a residency it so it's essentially this organization they have a residential hall that they have students come and they all have to meet special requirements such as they all the students have executive function issues so they might be on the autism spectrum or have high levels of adhd and they come and get academic coaching and life skills coaching to kind of see if like college and independent living skills or something that they can continue to develop and continue to grow in with the, some of the other challenges and hurdles they have to go through that maybe most people don't have to 
Um, so I work with them to like, hey, are you showering today? Hey, you want to learn how to social skills? Let's talk about that. You want to learn how to budget. So anything that's not related to college, they also have to be attending one of the colleges in Eugene to, to stay at this residential hall. But yeah, that's what I do now. You get to be kind of like that big sister that's the go-to for all the big life discussions that people maybe can't find other places to to have those discussions and get that aid that that you know real world hey this is how you do this this is how you adult yes that that i keep having to remind myself i can't say well like i could but just saying like adulting just makes me feel old because i don't feel like that's a term people use anymore <laughs> so i was talking to some students and they're like yeah you want to get some adulting skills and things like that and yeah, hopefully building the rapport enough with them that they feel comfortable. We just got a new set of students in in August. And so the last five, six weeks have been a lot of rapport building and um, making sure they stay alive while they're transitioning. And what is it What is it that you do, MG, before we dive into your childhood? I'm a writer. Right now, I, uh, I make educational materials for a mortgage CRM. It's just as exciting as it sounds. Um, I, I write uh, help manuals and create tutorial videos. I record my voice and do all the video and audio editing to make uh, videos that teach uh, computer inept mortgage professionals learn how to spam email better. It's, uh, <laughs> do I, do I better just, email marketing? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I'm contributing to a positive world, you know. <laughs> Well, I, everyone has to earn a living, right? I suppose. <laughs> I, I, I think there might be worse ways to make money. I'll at least say that. But man, uh, yeah, I, I wonder I wonder about all the things that we do to, to hustle this life. Uh, but to fully understand where, uh, where you're, you're at currently, I want to dive back to Once Upon a Time. So we're going to play an interview length version of how millennial evangelical you are because i'm combining words to be cute does that make sense isn't that super cute i'm really gonna just work on my dad jokes i'm sorry i have children i'm gonna be a dad joke practicer today so um question one and i want it i want both of you to answer um we'll have mg go first uh you grew up going to church right i did so was church attendance optional Oh, no, definitely not. We had the, well, you're talking earlier about the stereotypical evangelical upbringing. And I had the stereotypical evangelical answer to that question of, well, you're free to do whatever you want, but as long as you go, you live under this house, you go to church on Sunday. <laughs> so I was, I was free to not go to church on Sunday if I didn't want to, but then I had to find someplace else to stay. So, so that's, you that's know, that's a, that's a super fun conflict of interest for yourself isn't it especially as a child like oh i'd like living in this house i'm pretty sure it's a very efficacious argument you know when you introduce subtle threats to your uh, children <laughs> and you grew up if i understand it right you actually grew up going to a nazarene church too that's correct where did you grow up i grew up uh, in vancouver washington oh so you're you're local-ish i'm i'm local-ish that's right you're how far are you guys away from vancouver now Drive time it's a couple life. hours, uh, two or three hours. Yeah, two hours. This is your neck of the woods, then. Yeah. Proverbially, and I guess actually. <laughs> yeah. One of the other weird connections where MG went to church growing up, um, the pastor that I ended up working with uh, was like an associate pastor at the church he was growing up at, and they split off and built 
another church. And so when MD and I moved back to Vancouver, one of the reasons we started going to that church that I started working for was because he knew the lead pastor from growing up. Correct. Weird connection. Did you grow up in the same area, Amy? No, I grew up in Kansas. Very different. Gotcha. So I, same question to you. I mean, I don't want to assume I know the answer. I feel like I might, but was church attendance growing up optional? No, not really. I remember being in high school and getting in like arguments with my parents about going to church. And at one point, uh, I think I was like to go to youth group. And I think they mostly sent us off to get their alone time, which I now understand as an adult. But as a kid, I remember being like, you don't have to go to church every Sunday. Why do I? (laughs) Uh, so I think there's, yeah, definitely had, it was highly recommended and encouraged. Now this one has deep theological significance. Uh, again, I don't want to assume, but these are all the stereotypes that I I feel like it's a safe assumption, but we'll still ask the question. So Amy, we'll go with you first. Did you grow up watching VeggieTales? Yes. Uh, VeggieTales was a thing. (laughs) <laughs> that we watched. I don't think it like came out because I'm like a later end of millennial, um, but I definitely watched it and I still will occasionally sing some of the songs like the cheeseburger song or the Barbara Manatee song gets stuck in my head sometimes or the peas, the peas singing the, um, the song about keep marching, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep oh yeah. The, uh, you two are the pastors <laughs> got me anyway. so yes. okay well now so, I, yes. I, I need to ask a, a potentially you know unacceptable question how old are you amy we got to check the millennial cred for a we second check it. i am 36 also so. VeggieTales just i i was uh you know we got an intern to check this real quick VeggieTales came out in 93 how old were you Oh my gosh, 93. So I, oh wait, maybe I was younger than I thought. I was eight. I was born in 85. Yeah. Um, oh, but I don't remember watching it until later. I don't know. I, I don't remember my childhood. Well, this was, this was before like Netflix and stuff. You had to actually go buy the VHS at the store, right? So I mean, yeah. things well, took a while. At the Christian supply store at the mall. You know? Right. Well, because at, well, I guess we did live in the city at that point, but I did grow up watching a lot of the um, Bible adventure cartoons. Um, there was one where these three characters would go back in time and uh, I know go exactly through Bible adventures. Talking about. Yeah, isn't it just called Bible Time or Damn. Superbook? I watched Superbook. The little I don't even know what that is. What? Okay, so if you look up Superbook. I just I'm looking it up right now. The, uh, the end of the title credits for Superbook. Super book. Anyway, there was a robot and two kids that would go through Bible adventures. And then there was another story, another cartoon. And one of the, there was a guy, a blonde girl and a little, and a, another kid who was what's supposed to be Indian or. Yeah. uh, A different ethnicity. Represented well, but yes. (laughs) Um, And they would get sucked back into time and Biblical times. Biblical though. times. They were <laughs> the only time that you go back to in these oh, times. The they were archaeologists, and the little kid was like one of the helpers. The, and they would go to a dig, and they get sucked into the sand and go back in time. And those but, were the videos I watched. We didn't get to Veggie Tales till later. <laughs> I, I watched. I watched McGee and Me, and then was, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and me. yeah. Yeah, and my mom tried to buy Bible Man, and I was just like, Mom, Bible this, Man. it's oh. too much now. It's too. Yeah, I don't know how old I was. I was like, really? I mean, I'm starting to 
like smell the 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 cheesy christianese on this and i i can't i can't be about it i'm sorry mother it became <laughs> became an issue uh same question emg did you did you grow up watching any of these super fun things that uh shaped a robust and rich theological tradition in your childhood i had, they were definitely present i was not even young i remember i wasn't a big fan of the veggie tales it seemed a bit i don't know propagandistic <laughs> it was very like l learn your your marching rhythm you know learn your learn your songs so that you can remember them without necessarily thinking about them <laughs> The cheeseburger one is so yeah. good. Yeah. That's about loving cheeseburgers. That's that's what's <laughs> when it comes to influential theology, loving cheeseburgers is I think the gospel that we're all here to present. Jesus would love cheeseburgers. So oh my main. goodness. Boy, you know, I I bet even if he didn't, I bet he'd eat one. Yes. Sorry. This is an important <laughs> question. I mean, if Jesus, if, if if the Jesus that we read of right in the in the the Gospels is trying to like get to know somebody who was eating a cheeseburger, I would imagine he would. But he also seemed to have issues with all those Levitical laws for diet and stuff like that. So I would imagine he'd probably eat a cheeseburger. Oh, he, he loved citing, a hot dog, but a cheeseburger. He loved citing against the legalistic use of said laws. So he did. <laughs> he went and hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors, which was a little bit eyebrow raisy. So I imagine and a cheeseburger women. and and women. <laughs> I mean, it, his ministry was bankrolled by women. It's pretty interesting. Like Herod's household, his the household manager's spouse bankrolled Jesus's ministry, which is pretty punk rock. I really like that about that is a little obscure reference at the beginning of Luke 8 but let's get back to the the interview of you two I'm not gonna you're gonna tangent after tangent I'm easily distracted yeah, uh, so so far we got you uh, the first two questions resounding yeses uh I think I have let me count I have about 10 questions so so far you know two two for two right now um Question number three, and this is, it could be a swing and a miss, but I think it's important to ask, were either of you homeschooled? I was never homeschooled. My little sister ended up getting homeschooled for a year, but I'd graduated by then. I was for a portion of my youth. I, I, I was a, what would you call it? A problematic uh, child in public situations. Precocious youngster. Pre yeah, precocious. There's a cute way to put it. Um, <laughs> I, I went to a different school almost every year throughout my youth because I would be asked to leave from different schools. And so I had the mix of public schools, the mix of advanced placement in special programs of public schools, in Christian schools, in home schools. And yeah, a good section of that was when my, my mom tried to homeschool us. Tried to isn't fair. She homeschooled us. How, how old were you when you were homeschooled then? My homeschool years would have been uh, seventh and eighth grade, I hmm. believe. It's it's cliche, but it's it's a mess. Like that was, it was a very confusing time, especially try to remember now. The interesting, I, I don't know, cultural pressure now. I where I used to be, which was even further western Washington, I was the only pastor who had kids in the public school systems because you know the proverbial boogeyman in the closet or whatever like oh this is this is the evil perpetuated on our children if they're taught by a public school yada 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 um so 
that's not a new thing I've learned. That's a thing that has gone back a while. Um, and so that's why we ask those questions because it's kind of, it starts to piece together a little bit of your upbringing and how, you know, what, what sort of Christian bubble you may or may not have grown up in. So I guess, I guess that's a no. We're going to say that's a no because while you were homeschooled, it doesn't sound like it was for those reasons. It was. It I mean, definitely was at that point. Like I, I had the, the very evangelical Christian homeschooling time. And oh, shoot. it is the, the reason why I am adamantly against homeschooling of any reason right now outside of, you know, physical need. But I, I am outspoken against homeschooling. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> so then it, so then you're three for three. MG and then uh, we're gonna I guess you're two for three Amy um so far your husband's taking the lead uh I, I love it I think this speaks to a whole lot of what's happening <laughs> I, I have other things I can throw out there if that would be helpful <laughs> <laughs> well I, we might, we might get to it we might get to it if, if it helps uh because this is the this is we're gonna ask this fourth question but then we're gonna maybe ask a little more serious questions uh, and then yeah. take a break from the silly this one really gets at the heart of some of the hey i grew up evangelical it's like if you could answer the meme tell me you grew up evangelical without telling me you grew up evangelical this is my this is what it would be for me i would answer in some version of this question so i'll ask it uh to both of you amy we can start with you what was considered more evil in your home pokemon or harry potter I would probably say Harry Potter because I wasn't in interested in Pokemon. Like, as if you're referencing video game Pokemon, I mostly played Mario, so I never we had the NES and Super NES, and Pokemon wasn't something. I know it's a Nintendo game, but we didn't. Amy has a list of cartoons and shows that were evil or witchcraft that we often check with gargoyles allowed or no, no not allowed i'm sorry well it changed so tiny tunes was a no animaniacs whoa. was a no whoa um hercules the cartoon was a no oh no uh definitely no simpsons power rangers was no same no for simpsons and power rangers okay um couldn't watch um what were some of the other ones with <laughs> Well, my parents were also funny too, because they would like, let us watch some movies and shows if they were present, but I didn't know until later that I could only watch them if they were there by getting in trouble by watching them when they weren't like, uh, some Indiana Jones movies, the, the, there was one with a heart sacrifice. And I was like, I, we never, I never knew that it was in the movie for a long time because my parents would just have us like leave the room for it. Same. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, someone, when my cousins came over and they put the movie on. And my mom, I won't, I won't show them. Oh, anyway, my mom was not pleased that he put that movie in and without censoring it for us. Um, so yeah, we had a bunch of those things that that uh, that changed. But yeah, so Harry Potter, no, couldn't couldn't read that. That was also a bit past our youth. Harry yeah. Potter's a, a little bit past when we were of that age. It, it it's the same for me but the, the reason i bring it up is i it, i had younger siblings that were affected by it because i was reading it like I don't know, whatever and yeah. then my younger siblings raised by the same parents like why can't we read it like because it has witches that's naughty if, if it would have been like in at our 
if we would have been the targets at that age, I think it would have been an Amy's parents' 100%. litany of I could protection. Watch the Disney movie Bed Knobs and Broodsticks because it had witches. Um, same with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Couldn't watch that show because there mm. were witches. Absolutely. So, yeah. Pr- yeah. Anyway. Good thing. What about you, MG? I mean, maybe it's not even Harry Potter. It's kind of a trick question because oh, basically I'm just trying to elicit the what were the naughty evil things that you were saved from as a child that were pop culture This is definitely one where Amy gets the point and I don't. My parents oh. were oh my parents, uh, we would watch Simpsons together. They let me watch Ren and Stimpy. Like we we were full board. You could do what you want as long as we processed it together. Interesting. Um, but I didn't have those kind of limits, but I grew up like the community of children and and youth that I grew up with was part of this group. And I remember when my the entirety of my friend group after we all got into Pokemon had to burn their cards and cartridges together. And it's <laughs> like I'm 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 very versed in this scene, but at the same time, I I do have to credit my parents there. They they were very they didn't disallow something unless it was something that would cause me nightmares, like Jumanji. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my, I, I think I think my my dad was like a different person when he knew my mom wouldn't find out because I had some similar things too. Uh, he would disagree, but I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I remember better, and my mom would verify this uh, were she alive to verify it. But I think I was five or six, and he thought it was a good idea to have a movie night where we watched. The original predator and the original alien movies because they were you know the Ooh. movie that he grew up with and like back to back and i'm like five or six she found out and my goodness i've never seen him in so much trouble but like <laughs> only reason scared they... watching alien movies nowadays like those are scary movies they're psychological <laughs> thrillers they're they're horror That's... movies they were good movies oh yeah I... actually some similar things with my my dad would let us watch movies like air force one and things like that uh, but yeah my mom was not a fan of that there's a sliding scale of what was permissible right i'm pretty sure i could watch saving private ryan when i was 12 or something like that you know anything that that was sort of like venerating war <laughs> in the american way and all that jazz so yeah the violence was okay but uh any discussion of witchcraft or sex was horrible we, we usually had it wasn't the preventive uh ban it was the after the fact catch and mm. talking that we had. Like I, I can remember coming home with an old Operation ID CD when I was just getting into better music <laughs> and plugging it in, and my my dad saying like, "Oh, what's this?" And I'm like, "Music? It's nothing." And him asking to listen to it and catching right off the bat that there were bad words in it. And oh no, me getting the apologetic. Yeah, but they thank God in the credits on the back of the album. So got you got him on a technicality zing you actually spoiled my uh, we're gonna have to ask the fifth question how old oh, no. were when you first were allowed to listen to secular music or was it lifeway all the way and you had to sneak it sometimes we're just gonna have to ask it then we'll get into something a little more serious yeah i guess i'll go first on go for it my dad cared too much about music to prevent me from listening to good music being secular music <laughs> he he was very into i mean I guess most Christians would accept Bob Dylan, but also, you know, many of the older like rocker kind of stuff. Like he was big into that. And I don't think he would have banned that because it wasn't Christian. If there was something that was problematic in it, we would have got to hear it afterwards. <laughs> what about you, Amy? Um, 
I don't. Uh, okay, so my family was like Christian music only. My dad had his like 80s rock that he listened to sometimes. Um, and I remember sometime when I was high school, I went to one of those like international youth convention things. And that's where I like heard ska for the first time and was so excited. <laughs> so that's Christian um, music, right? And yeah. And uh, I remember a friend in high school gave me like a Green Day CD and I had a moral dilemma of whether or not I should keep it or give it back. Oh. And then, and I still kick myself for this, but there was a time in college where uh, an ex-boyfriend bought me tickets to a Lincoln Park show. And I had to say it wouldn't be a great example of me as a church leader was like going to a Lincoln Park show. And I told her, I, we had like broken up by the time of the show, but he was like, Hey, let's still go together. That would be fun. And I had to be like, I'm sorry. It's morally wrong for me. To, and I was like, that's such a stupid, I can't believe I did that. Cause Lincoln Park is one of my favorite bands now. And so to be like, I miss that. And obviously with the sadness of how things have gone for the band in the last few years. Um, but I don't think I started I also was like the kid that wasn't super into music and I didn't like push buttons for my parents. So I don't think I started listening to secular music till I was in college. Is, is that when you guys met? Cause we're going to, we're going to shift to a little more serious for a second. Did you guys meet in college? Yes. Yeah. We were freshmen at the same time and just were like, Hey, you seem cool. And what college did y'all go to? We went to Mid-America Christian University. In Oklahoma um, City. Just been retitled that when we started attending, I believe. Yeah, it's the Mid-America that's not the Nazarene. It was the Church of God. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, yeah we went there and uh, <laughs> carrying on from the previous question, I got really into music when I was in high school and I was in yeah. a Christian ska band and I like, I was that whole thing. And so I, were you the brass play. player? Were you the, where well, were you the, one? I was the drummer. I, oh, okay. I came into that college with a 14 inch Mohawk. <laughs> uh, I, I got a lot of attention <laughs> in Oklahoma city, conservative, tiny Christian college. And I think that's, yeah, we both did. I dressed pretty goth punk. Hot uh, topic. <laughs> well, both like I mean, hot topic was around there, but like <laughs> I also still as an insult. That's not it. I just wanted like to me. I'm like I'm not the gimmicky goth. I was like actual goth, which is like a <laughs> oh, so you, thing you, you stormed say. Rome, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I live. I lived in the country. There wasn't a hot topic, so I made my own version of goth. I got my fishnet shirt where I could. That's amazing. It, so you guys went to school and uh, met. What were you both going to school for? I think we were both there originally for youth ministry. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So when did you decide to do that? When would you say you had that, what, whatever you want to call it, pull, call, uh, decision point where you said, hey, I think I'm supposed to go into ministry? Uh, for me, I feel like I kind of always had this sense of like a desire for kids at that point, kids my age to feel loved and valued. And I just wanted other people to see how cared for and loved they could feel. And so to me, the natural step was youth ministry. Um, my dad was the youth pastor at the church that I went to for one of the churches that I went to growing up for like a year or so. Um, and I was just like, yeah, this is 
the the path to take is to help people connect with God and to show them the best type of love that I could. So MG, you entered college pursuing youth ministry. So obviously something must have happened in college, I'm going to assume. But like wh- before that, like, wh- what led you? Did you have that kind of that calling? Ca- that, yeah, that calling at camp where like I am to be a pastor. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always had kind of a uh, an interest and a talent in helping people understand things. Okay. And I think that's what helped a lot. Like when I was in high school, like I was involved with the youth group and helping run things and helping people understand things. And so I, I was, I was really smart when I was young and I had the ability to, no, (laughs) he's lost it. I'm not usefully smart now, (laughs) but uh, I, I was planning on going into college to be a translator when I felt the call to go to this other college and I ended up getting, I was awarded a full ride scholarship at this uh, Mid-America Christian College. I was offered it and I took it and I didn't keep it because I couldn't keep my grades up. But <laughs> Well, that and like some of your closest friends were going yes. to the same school and doing the same majors. and Yeah, there was, there was a, it was a mix of a calling and a, I was involved in the community of like a generation of new youth leaders. And so that there, there was a lot to it, I think at that point, but <laughs> As it turned out, I was very confused and had a lot more thinking to do about it. And it kind of sorted itself out while I was there. Yeah. You also changed majors like three times. Correct. So you didn't end with youth pastor. Correct. Yeah. What did you guys get married in college or after college or? (laughs) Amy graduated after four years of college and then went off to do other things. I was there for like six or seven years because I changed my major multiple times and I I was a precocious young youth as we said before so it took me a while before I started caring about things but yeah and our friendship relationship stuff through college was is a whole like soap opera in itself um (laughs) but will they won't they just the whole time uh for him for me I was uh yeah it was a mess <laughs> to, to like not go into like a, a long story about what that mess was but like um there was definitely a lot of interest on his side and very minimal interest on my side and then uh <laughs> then we went on a few dates and he thought we were dating and I did not realize that that's what was happening because uh-huh. uh, my I didn't also stereotypical evangelical you're not allowed to date till you're 16 um you're, you guys are spoiling like, future questions oh i'm my so goodness. sorry so sorry no, we anyway. need to ask it now we're gonna ask it real quick did you kiss we, dating goodbye did you kiss dating goodbye amy i was convinced in high school i wasn't gonna get married so that was never even something i had to think about and i didn't have to go through that my parents didn't have to worry about it because i'm like what are boys? I don't get it. And I was incredibly like awkward high schooler. I like my goal in high school or in college was to learn how to be social and learn how to talk to people. So I kind of had a boyfriend in high school, but otherwise I was like, sure, don't just, kiss, don't have sex. I'm fine. I don't want to even get married. <laughs> we're just going to pepper in these stereotypical millennial evangelical questions now. Uh, just pepper it in with your story as it comes up. So, Angie, I'm going to have to ask real quick, yes or no, did you kiss dating goodbye? Did you read that I, book? 
<laughs> I think that Josh Harris and James Dobson can have a great time. I am not, <laughs> I am not fans of these people, but when I was at that time, I I was. I was I was the the idiomatic. Uh, I will never do these things. I will wear my purity ring and also still be recalcitrant in my my attempts to not be under those things. Just Ugh. it was ugh, yeah. I, shame-based education especially when it comes to sexual education is so much easier to diagnose after the fact but at the time yeah that was that was my jam i read i kissed dating goodbye i, I signed all those contracts to yourself and, and i mean God, i definitely sorry. went through the purity like <sighs> contract thing i just also didn't worry about it because i yeah so when did you guys actually get married um, so we graduated college in two, well, I, I graduated college, <laughs> my, I should say, I graduated my bachelor's degree in 2007. <laughs> yes, I have my master's, huh? Um, and then MG graduated in like 2000, the December of 2008. Eight or nine, yes. Um, and then I, I worked, I moved back to Oklahoma city after I graduated, did an internship in Tennessee, moved back and then ended up working for Southwest airlines. And then, um, when MG moved back to Vancouver after school in, uh, 2009, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, let's go snowboarding. And then between that time I had a moment of like bad relationships and like really unhealthy dating. And then like, okay, God, like who should I date? And MG came back to my mind. So when I flew back to to go snowboarding we had great discussions about how he was content with being single and then i was like hey how you feel about dating i um, spent about four years getting over amy and oh, it was yeah. only after i got over amy that she flew What's out that? and well i didn't fly <laughs> told out me that to god do that. told her to date me well, that's not, not what of course, i said that's not, that's not what i did that's <laughs> i learned at that point that at least you shouldn't manipulate people with that phrase but so, like <laughs> so not to put too fine a point on this let me just let me see if i understand you're and i also realized i forgot to ask an important question are you all the same age i just made that assumption once amy right, answered yeah you're yeah, both- yeah we're, I am 21 days older than him. Okay. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully not make too many total mess ups on what I'm hearing. Angie, you probably, is it fair? uh, College was the time where you discovered that perhaps you'd entertain this philosophy of atheism. Is that around the time that happened? No No. way. When was it? Um, It was after college when I was starting to self-educate the last Sorry, I don't want to uh, interrupt you. If you're well, let me ask. Let me ask what I was going to say. Please. At the time that she came back, after you got over her for four years, was that were you an atheist at that point? Absolutely not. No. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to. I just wanted to make sure. No. It was like if she said God told her to do a thing, that would have certain connotations. If you were oh, by it, that point, it did, but it had positive connotations. And I, and she didn't come across with that verbiage. It was it was more complicated than that and, and more real. But uh, it it was convincing as well. Sure. Like it. Obviously. It wasn't manipulative. <laughs> it wasn't a manipulative, tropey sort of, you know. Absolutely not. And I do very heartfelt imply that. Yes. Yeah. Sure. I'm sorry if that's right. what I imply. <laughs> we we did end up having a really short dating period. We just like after I talked with them in the snowboarding trip, like wanted two months to like think and pray about it. 
And then, then we started dating in March of 2009, got engaged in June and married in September. 2009? Yeah. So, so I, if I'm tracking right, 2009, you're married. Both of you would still be, I don't know, recovering maybe, but still would be people of faith, would, would label mm-hmm. self-label yourselves as Christians, getting Fiercely. married. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. You're younger than maybe the national average still, right? Because that was another question I was going to say is like, how old were you when you got married? Because that that has some sort of millennial evangelical tones to it as well. We were 25. So I would say we're 24. 24? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's younger than the national average. So that you fit the stereotype still. I thought we were so old getting married so old at 20 which I well, guess because says a little for, bit of that too it's a <laughs> like, it's a different stereotype or a different uh uh reporting group that we're coming from if we're true. from a conservative christian college where it's horny jail <laughs> absolutely <laughs> if yeah. it's the if it feels good stop jail right like when i was Gosh. when i was growing up um you know my parents got married at 20 so 20 was about the right age and that's that's when i got married i was 20 so and it, and some folks were like oh that seems a little young but it's probably okay <laughs> it's incentivized because yeah. i mean at some point like I remember that time in college when everybody started pairing up because you had to have the ring in order to have sex and you had to have a marriage license if you wanted to live off campus or if you wanted other kinds of discounts at the college. So it was very much incentivized. Well, it's very much the evangelical map. Like that's what you do. You graduate, you get married, you have children and that's, that's That's, what it is. That's your destiny. Yeah. And like the, the courtship like you don't have to actually I don't, I don't know anyway like there's no like great understanding of like what it means to actually date and get to know someone as much as this person seems to be slightly good and we both love god so what can go wrong yep it's a match made in heaven right yeah so talk me to through kind of momentous moments in your in your marriage if you if you would entertain me with this um number one uh when when did amy become a pastor number two when did MG start to at least toy with the idea of becoming an atheist? When do those two things happen? I think we have different timelines actually for that. Cause well, like well, no, how, right, how yeah. my perception of how things happen. And whenever I say it to MG, he's usually like, no, it was, and I was, and I was like, Oh, so I, I think his comfort level and having those discussions and kind of is what I recognize. So, cause our, first year of marriage in 2009 there was a lot of like hey we have don't know each other the way we thought we did and like let's get to know each other and figure it out that's my perspective and that's also when he was like hey i'm not sure about this whole god thing we i guess i'll i'll help with the chronology um our first year of marriage we decided to live away from either of our families or any of the communities where we'd been before and moved to tennessee for a year to just like grow together and when we were done with that year, because of some other circumstances, we ended up moving back out to the Pacific Northwest where I used to live. And starting from there, Amy uh, was one of our other friends from college, started working as a youth pastor at the, the church that had broken off from the church I went to when I was young. And they became close friends. Amy started working there as a assistant. And then, sorry, do you want me to Stop. No, I just, I wasn't oh. assistant. I was just a volunteer. I'm sorry. She started volunteering there. Her 
started working there at higher and higher levels. And then when that pastor left is when she got hired as that pastor. Um, right. Does that my, my getting that time frame right? Pretty close. Like we, we went to church there and I volunteered for like three or four years. Yeah. And then they had had like three or four other youth pastors before I had gotten like officially hired. But you were spending a good amount of time doing some sort of ministry thing in a church. Yeah. Yeah. I Pretty was much from the time we moved back out here. Yeah. I think I'd like taken an, I have always been involved in church or Christian ministry in some sense since I graduated um, college. I did take a year off our first year of marriage and it just started to like entertain working at a youth with a youth group in Tennessee when we moved back up to Vancouver. Yeah. And we were both involved in this together. I mean, we would yeah. lead house churches and stuff like that. Um, I guess on my side, uh, the last year or so of college was when I started interacting with more different types of Christians and was when I became a pacifist, when I became a Christian existentialist, when I started thinking more about what things mattered to me and investigating them myself instead of simply kind of following the, the wave, I guess. Yeah. And when I ceased to be among that uh, environment of many people who had challenged themselves theologically and philosophically all the time, um, I that habit didn't leave me. And I still am very much not a didact. I, I teach myself things whenever I can. And I, I try to look for different uh, communities to talk with about these things or other resources to learn about why I'm here and stuff like that. And the year when we were in Nashville was probably when I was first getting into the, like starting to investigate the, the, the views of the sides that I was against when I was in college, when I started to be like, well, what do these people actually believe so that I could perform better apologetics so I could debate better and things like that. The very sure. There's some stereotypical guy online yeah. at that time. <laughs> so then uh, yeah. it, at, at that time you've been married how long? Like a year in Nashville? Maybe two? It was d- during one our year. first year. Yeah, we were there for one year during our first year of marriage and then we moved to um, Vancouver in 2010. I remember right before we moved back when we had been married for just about a year um, we had just got, I just gotten Amy a dog <laughs> and uh, I, when I, when we moved back, like right before we did so I, I met, I drove to Oklahoma and met with some of my other pastor youth friends that were deep into theology and all of that. Some of them work as theologians now, like for the church of God, but like I went and I, I basically kind of had a, I guess you could call it a crisis of faith moment with them where I said, Hey, I'm, I'm really running into some, some difficulties, like some things that I'm not able to process. Right. And we had like a, I think it was a couple of days where we just talked about stuff and it was very illuminating, but at the same time, it was, it was stoking the fires, not putting them out. Um, and once we moved back up here, I spent about a year, maybe two years where I, was in a gradual process of leaving the church, even though I was very involved in the church yeah. still. Like it was, 
I care very much about why I'm here and what I'm doing and what things mean. Yeah. And even though I was having questions about how I could process this or whether being in a church or representing the church was good or how public this, this mattered, I was still involved in supporting the church in uh, doing the, what do you call it? Acts Let's, of service and yeah. things like that. Like small groups occasionally paid. I think you played drums a couple times for worship. Often, yeah, yeah, often. Um, so it was probably a couple of years after we moved back. We'd been married about three years when I, I, I told Amy, hey, for about a year now, I've kind of decided I don't believe this, but I wanted to experiment and take a year to see, like, is this, does this change me? Does this change how I act? And when I finally told her that, it was, it seemed that it was a, oh, is this some new thing? And it was hard for me to say, like, no, this has been, for several years, I've been thinking this for an entire year. I've basically walked away from God, even though I've been helping people and being participant in this church still. But I need to talk with you about it because you're my closest friend and the person I'm married to. And I don't know how to deal with it with anybody else. And so it's probably about another year before I came out of the closet, I guess. Is the, came the out of the atheist denial. closet? It's yeah. it's a very common thing you're going to see in ex-Christian circles to use sure. technology. It's, it, I think that it's easy for us to say like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But like, no, it's, oh, no. it is just as dangerous. <laughs> well, I was going to ask because the follow-up question because I, I can, I, I would imagine, I can't say I, I would understand that you're putting everything out on the line, right? Because then the next discussion might be, so what do we do about this? I mean, is, is that, is that basically what happened next? It's like, well, shoot, I'm pursuing ministry. And so much of that is tied to my belief system. And if we're not on the same page, what does this look like for our relationship? Yeah. It, I think, again, that's kind of why I say that to me, there's a, we have different timelines because I wasn't as much of a part of that first year for him. Cause it was a lot of and he's a very intellectual deep dive, going to figure it out on my own and then I'll bring it to the table. Um, so there was definitely a lot of, again, I think because of our upbringing, um, a lot of question of what, do, where do we go from here? And I had, even though I like graduated with my degree in youth ministry, I had also decided that I wasn't youth pastor material because I didn't fit the stereotype for what a youth pastor should look like. Hmm. Um, so why, I, because you're a female or because of what I, because I'm not charismatic. I'm not really gregarious. I'm really, um, quiet. I, like I said, I was pop, goth punk through even most of college as well. And you don't see youth pastors that look that way. And asked to leave a camp that you were serving at in Louisiana because you had piercings and purple hair or whatever. Yeah, I that that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I didn't mean interrupt. No, I had been asked to like change the way that I look to fit into some circles when I was volunteering at different organizations. Uh, There was a camp that I went to that they asked me and our team to leave because some of us had colored hair and they didn't want to know if we had tattoos, and I did have tattoos at the time. I think I only had one and it was a Bible verse, but it was still Satan. Um, oh, oh, and like, oh. so I just had some of these experiences that I think that, and like, I went through a big mental health thing in college and like where I greatly struggled with depression and a little bit of like cutting for uh, like a year. And like, that's not what youth pastors look like. Mm. That's not what youth pastors struggle mm. with. Um, so I think that the, 
the female thing, I've always been actually pretty oblivious to when people are like discounting me because I'm a woman and I've in the last several years become way more aware of what that looks like. Um, so I think that could have been like a subconscious thing, but I was also surrounded by people in my life that very much supported women in ministry. So I didn't really huh. always notice that. Um, so it was more of like a guilt, shame sort of a thing. Yeah. Like I, I just, yeah, I just was like, I don't, I don't fit the mold. I can't do it. So I, when I did an internship for a year, the internship was actually with um, an online chat service for people who are struggling mental health wise. Uh, it was called Teen Hopeline. And uh, I did that for a year where I helped manage their chat. And um, at the time they worked with a pretty popular Christian band and would go on, uh, some of the members would go on tour with them and um, just have a booth at, at shows for people to come and talk to, kind of get some, just someone who could listen mostly because we were not, <laughs> we were not trained for mental health support. Um, but anyway, so that's why I, at the time that we were in Vancouver and helping at the church, like I still had a, a strong drive to work with teens and help them, but I wasn't pursuing ministry in a leadership level of like pastor, just as much as it's mostly just like, I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to love on these kids. And mm. that's what I'm going to do. And then, and, and then at home, you're dealing with some existential discussions, right? Yeah, there is definitely a little bit, if, I guess we're not, we're not cussing, but like, uh, Oh shoot. Um, what do we do now? Like, thank you. Do, thank you for does, maintaining the clean rating. Uh, like, what do we do with like everything that I know about what a marriage is supposed to look like this breaks that and how do we stay together and how do we, how do I pursue God? And what does goodness even look like if my husband isn't, isn't a Christian and can he even be a good person? Because there's such deep brainwashing in the evangelical that, was good as God. And if you don't have God, you cannot be good, which, mm. and so there was a lot of like, what, what do we do now? And then like probably six months or so after he talked to me about that was when I was offered the position of a youth pastor. Wow. Uh, so we were still pretty new into the like, Hey, let's like figure out if this can still work. And me then going, well, what is my faith? And how does that relate to who MG now is, and how does that relate to me now trying to lead people in this area? So, MG, when you came out, MG, uh, for, of the atheist closet, um, did I was it? I'm sure there's some stress and anxiety, but were you glad you did? It didn't sound like, from what I heard Amy say, she was like, "Screw you, I'm done. See you later, <laughs> you heretic." One of the things that's really hard to communicate clearly about that type of outcoming, um, especially to Christians. And I don't mean to make a wide sweeping comment like this, but I think that it is relatively salient. Um, that some people think that like it, it's an attack almost, but it's, it's hard to describe how much somebody has to lose when they do this. I absolutely literally had no friends that weren't Christians. I literally had no family that wasn't Christian. I literally had no, uh, I'm sorry, let me take that back. I had almost no communities or like gaming groups or sports groups or like I, I was involved in nothing that wasn't Christian. And when I went beyond, like, this is something that I'm considering and, and became 
this is some, this is who I am. And I, I need to be real with myself about this. Like it's hard to communicate clearly how much I had to lose there. And most things went much better than I expected or that really happened for a lot of people who come out as atheists. My wife took it very well. A couple of years later, when I talked to my parents, they took it surprisingly well that I was, I'm blessed. <laughs> Hashtag, blessed. Hashtag blessed. You know, like it's, I, I'm, I do count myself as very fortunate that I had a kind and compassionate uh, wife in her, whose own entire person in her own right, um, who was, 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 was willing to not jump to conclusions, was willing to talk to me about why we both are very uh, real with our intentions and talking about why we do something. And so even that small thing of like, when I would talk, when I told her about it and she says like, where did this come from? Why do you feel this way? What do you think this means? How, what do you think this means going forward? What, and when we had the talk later about her becoming a pastor and like, how, how does this work with what's going on in our current situation? Like to me, those were big, uh, they were gifts. <laughs> they were, they were something I was not expecting and that were, were extremely helpful and beneficial. MG confesses his disbelief to his soon-to-be pastor, wife, Amy. These two that have grown up in similar ways, had similar evangelical upbringings, are at this, this point, this climactic moment where, where so much of what they decide to do will, will determine the course of their lives after this. And many may assume that, oh, their marriage can't survive this, but part two would say otherwise. So please come back, listen to their story as they continue to share what it looks like for an atheist to be married to a pastor. That episode will be released in two weeks. So please come back and hear their story and and maybe some of the beauty that happens when these two endeavor to understand life together, valuing each other's opinions and perspectives, despite some of the differences that may be present. I'm your host, Josiah. I would like to apologize for how long it has been since we have gotten an episode out to you. My co-host Byron and I have, have gone through even more life changes with buying and selling houses, with moving for school, with all sorts of things. Byron now lives in Ohio. I still live in Washington, but I went from owning a house to renting to owning a different house in a slightly different ministry context. And life is chaotic. Pepper in having four kids and COVID scares and sicknesses. And my goodness, it is next to impossible to continue to have regular podcasts dropping on a podcast that that I love. Still, we have great things planned for the rest of this season. Season three will end this calendar year. And season four will start in 2022. And there are some amazing changes that I'm excited to share with you. Can't quite give you all the details yet as I'm still working them out myself, but season four of the Millennial Podcast will be a little different in ways that I'm really excited about. So I hope that you would rate, review, and subscribe so that you can stay tuned for what is coming down the line with this podcast. Again, I'm your host, Josiah. 
This is the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Come back in two weeks to hear part two of Amy and MG. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.